Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Young readers go through a lot of books. Fortunately, there are lots of great children's books written and illustrated by Native storytellers. They focus on Native stories, culture, and language. As we do from time to time, today we'll sample some new children's books and hear from their authors. We'll also get insights on some of the many other choices out there. Do you have a recommendation for a new Native children's book? Join our discussion coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonio Gonzalez. Native veterans across the country are being honored as the U.S. observes Veterans Day. Recently in Alaska, a group of indigenous women were recognized for their military service during the opening ceremony at the Alaska Federation of Natives Convention in Anchorage. Emily Schwing has more. For more than a decade, Alaska Native veterans have opened the Alaska Federation of Natives Convention with a color guard procession. This year was a little different. Five Alaska Native and American Indian women were met with a standing ovation as they exited the convention hall after the procession. 20 Mullen is from the Seneca Nation in New York State. She just retired as the American Indian and Alaska Native Veterans Liaison for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. For the female veterans, actually putting him first in line was the first time I've ever seen him do this. According to a 2020 report from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, only 11% of American Indian and Alaska Native veterans are women. They just started letting females in the battalion in the Navy when I joined. That's Flossie Davenport. She grew up in Nome. She served as a CB in the Navy from 1998 to 2003. She said she never thought about being a woman in service until she started to notice some of her superiors treated her differently. So I still had a bunch of salty dogs around me. And they were always like, oh, let me lift that. Oh, let me do that. Ben Cleveland says he asked all of the veterans who came to present colors on AFN if they'd be willing to honor the women. He says not a single man was opposed to supporting the women who have served alongside them. In Anchorage, I'm Emily Schwing. In Washington, D.C., at the National Museum of the American Indian, Native veterans will be honored Friday. They'll be recognized for their military service during a formal dedication of the National Native American Veterans Memorial, which is located outside the museum. A veterans procession and the dedication ceremony will take place as part of a three-day celebration. Events feature films, performances, and a veterans hospitality suite. More than 1,000 veterans are expected to take part in the procession along the National Mall from the museum to a ceremony stage in front of the U.S. Capitol. The museum will live stream the procession and dedication starting at 2 p.m. Eastern. The U.S. House Committee on Rules is holding a hearing next week on legal and procedural factors to seating a Cherokee Nation delegate in the U.S. House of Representatives. The Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma is calling on Congress to honor the commitment made in the 1800s to seat a non-voting delegate from the Cherokee Nation in the House. The government and the Cherokee Nation reached an agreement through a treaty nearly 200 years ago. The Senate ratified it, and President Andrew Jackson signed it into law. The Cherokee Nation says the long-standing agreement does not expire, and what's needed now is for the House to seat the delegate. Our first mission 
is to get seated this year. That is our ultimate goal. That's Cherokee Nation citizen Kim Teehee, who has been chosen as the tribe's delegate. Cherokee Nation Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. nominated Teehee in 2019. She has served as the tribe's Vice President of Government Relations and was a Senior Policy Advisor for Native American Affairs during the Obama administration. She has also served in multiple leadership positions on Capitol Hill, including the bipartisan Native American Caucus in the House, and in the Cherokee community. The hearing is scheduled to take place Wednesday. Tune in to National Native News next week to hear more from Teehee about the importance of a Cherokee Nation delegate and her plans for the position. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. A historical master trauma class taught by Dr. Ruby Gibson and staff provides tuition-free online training to tribal members who are therapists, counselors, social workers, and traditional healers. Enrollment deadline is March 24, 2023 at freedomlodge.org who support this show. The Indian Arts and Crafts Board promotes Indian artists of federally recognized tribes through its online source directory. Information on this no-charge opportunity available at doi.gov IACB, who support this program. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. For the youngest readers, a book is both an entertaining pastime and a means to learn. The best children's authors balance story, illustration, and a little bit of life lesson. Today, we're taking our periodic review of children's books by Native writers. We'll hear from Laurel Goodluck, author of Forever Cousins, a book about how a relationship changes when two people are separated by distance. We also have Cherokee writer Art Colson. He wrote, Look, Grandma, Nihilisi, a book featuring math and Cherokee language. Please join us. Are you and your little ones reading books by Native authors? Do you think Native kids engage more with children's books that feature characters like themselves? We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Phone lines are open. Joining us first from the Bay Area in California is Debbie Reese. She's the founder of the American Indians in Children's Literature blog, and she's tribally enrolled at Nambe Pueblo in New Mexico. Debbie, welcome back to Native America Calling. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be back to talk about some great books. Well, Debbie, I want to ask you first, have you always been a fan and advocate for Native children's books? Um, actually. That's a tough question. Um, I became aware of how important it was to study and talk about children's books by Native writers when I became, when I moved from Nambe to um, Illinois and saw how ignorant people were because they believed stuff they saw in books that were not by Native writers that are just one stereotype and bias after another. So um, it's an adult, something in my adult life that I came very aware of. 
an acquired taste, so to speak, then uh, of native children's literature. And it just seems like there's so much content now, so many books, so many writers. We've got a couple of them on the show today. What do you think's driving uh, this surge in, in native children's literature? Activism, people speaking up and saying, we need those books. We need books by native writers because they know what they're doing. They know what they're talking about and a growing awareness of that fact. Mm. Well, let's get into it here, Debbie. Uh, I, I know you keep track of, of all these different books going on. What do you, which titles are you especially excited about right now? Well, the one I'm most excited about right now that's a picture book is Laurel Goodluck's book. So I'm glad you have her on the show. And I'm just going to say that I talked about her book at a workshop I did a couple of days ago. And there were Native people in the audience who were in the Bay Area because of the Indian relocation program of the 50s. And they were deeply touched by her book. So it's a really important book, and I'm, I'm very excited to be able to see that and share that with people wherever I'm speaking. Um, before, before we get too much further, I do want to say it's Veterans Day and that there are several Native writers who include veterans in their books, and I want to give them a shout-out. Eric Gansworth, he's got a book called If I Ever Get Out of Here, and his uncle Albert is a veteran. And Brian Young's Healer of the Water Monster, um, there's a character in there named Uncle Jet. He is also a veteran. And um, Marcy Rendon has a book out, just came out too, it's called Sinister Graves. And there's a character in there named Al. He too is a veteran. So um, I do want to mention that because I think it's important that readers know that we have a uh, sizable demographic within Native populations that are in the service. So Absolutely. those are all new books. They're not brand new books, but they are new books and um, a part of the, the surge that we're seeing. So in terms of um, elementary readers, I really like jo um, Jojo McCoon's by Don Quigley. Most people remember reading, most people my age and even younger because some books never go away, remember reading Danny and the Dinosaur and there you see stereotypical Indians. Dawn Quigley's book can shove that stuff right out the door. Her, her series is Jojo <laughs> McCoon's, and there are two books in that series now. Um, also, another, another set that I'm really excited about is the She Persisted Biographies. Um, Christine Day has done one on Maria Talchi, and Tracy Sorrell has one on Wilma Mankiller. We have many children's books about Native people that are biographies, written by people who don't know what they're talking about. So it's important that we find books like these two that are written by Native women. Wilma Mankiller. Uh, keep going? Uh, yeah, yeah, please do. I'm just going to comment. Wilma Mankiller recently uh, honored on the U.S. quarter in, in a uh, commemorative quarter coming up soon for Maria Tallchief as well, I believe. Um, yes, I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, please continue sharing some of these great titles. Okay, two outstanding young adult books are Man-Made Monsters by Andrea L. L. Rogers. She's Cherokee, and I already mentioned Eric Gansworth but, um, for his If I Ever Get Out of Here, but his newest book is called My Good Man. Boy, both of these are kind of going to really grip you because they are um, pushing some of the ways that we typically think of Native people and Native writing, and, and I highly recommend both of those. Um, new picture books, Michaela Goad won the Caldecott Medal a couple of years ago for We Are Water Protectors. She's got a new, song, new book out called Berry Song. 
And it's about a grandma and, a, and, a, and her granddaughter picking berries. Clinket uh, words are in there, and when you opened the show, you talked about that. So I want to give her a shout-out. Um, Buffy St. Marie, there's a new uh, documentary coming out about her, and she's got a brand-new children's book out called Still This Love Goes On. The lyrics and the music for that particular book are in the back of the book, and um, re- I'm really liking that one. And I guess well, just... before I stop talking, I'll give a shout-out to Unspeakable. The Tulsa Race Massacre came out last year. It's one of the first few books that has the words Black Indians in it, and it has an illustration that shows a Black Creek child holding a corn husk doll. So exciting book. It sounds like a really interesting book, and speakable, Tulsa Race Massacre. Now, this is a children's book? Yes. Interesting, interesting. You know, some of these children's books, we, we think of them, you know, traditionally children's books as, as, as lighthearted, you know, kind of just very, very soft topics. But some of these topics that, that you're describing today from some of these writers and just some of these themes, um, they're complex, they're deep, and, and they're challenging, and some of them are difficult to think about. And um, uh, is that one of the reasons why Native writers are, are so well-suited to write these books for our children? Because some of them have to deal with some of these tough topics that our children need to know about. Yeah, I think they bring insight and care, a sensitivity to those topics that, that non-Native writers have no insight to at all, because they're making it up based on romantic ideas. Mm-hmm. Debbie, another thing, you know, you hear so much about how young people aren't reading as much anymore. Um, Teenagers don't sit down and and read for four hours. They don't read novels and things like that, at least not to the degree that they did uh, a a generation or two ago. And and just the way everything's driven now through social media and and iPads and iPhones and, and digital technology. And um, how are how are books able children's books like what we're describing today? How are they able to compete now in this digital age when there is just so much competition for young people's attention? Well, first, some of them are they are available as ebooks or on a Kindle or on an electronic reader of some sort. So um, they are available that way for people who prefer to read digitally. Those that is an option for many of these books. But, but beyond that, I'm not sure I'd, I'd go along with the idea that, that there's less reading today than before. Because if you think about time historically, you know, when TV came, oh, did people stop reading when TV came? I don't think so. When the Internet came into our lives, did people stop reading because of the Internet? No. So I'm not so sure that I, I go along with the idea that because of social media, people are not reading as much. They might not be reading, perhaps you're right, but they're definitely reading differently in terms of how, you know, like if I read a book as opposed to if I read something on the internet or even a, uh, an e-copy of a book, it is somewhat of a different experience. And I, I think that's something that's interesting to note because as, as, as people, as older people such as myself, it's, and I have a young daughter and um, sometimes it's challenging to get her to read when there's so much else going on that occupies her attention. Yeah, I, I understand that as well. Well, Debbie, I see that some of these children's books, they have multiple writers and some have educators involved. And what does that tell you about a book when you see a whole team of creators and storytellers that, that endorse the book and they're involved in the, the whole process of writing and publication? Is that something that we need to pay attention to as, as parents and as grandparents? Well, I think what it might signal us are, is our sense 
of being people of community, where we are, um, we are co communities on our homelands. We make communities in places like the San Francisco Bay Area. And within children's literature, we have made communities to support each other and lift each other and help each other bring these books forth. And I know that there are Native writers groups in children's literature where they are helping each other. So um, I think that's what it signals is that, that the sense that we are people of communities rather than that American idea of an individual who, who quote unquote pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps. Nobody really is that. Everybody's part of community and we just make our community more visible when we name all the people that are involved in, in working on a book. We are speaking right now with Debbie Reese. She's the founder of the American Indians and Children's Literature Blog. She is a Nambe Pueblo tribal member, and she is a native children's book enthusiast. She uh, does a lot of research, spends a lot of time reading these different books and these different titles, very familiar with authors and illustrators. And she's giving us a wonderful overview of some of these new books that are out now, uh, recently published, and some of them are a little bit older as well. Uh, she gives a shout out to some Native books that uh, incorporate Native veterans, which is only appropriate today. November 11th, Veterans Day 2022. So if you haven't had a chance to thank a Native veteran today, please encourage you to do that. Reach out to a Native veteran and say thank you. And if you have a question or a comment for today's show, if you're a big fan of Native children's books, if there's a special title that you really enjoy and would like to share, give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. We've got Laurel Good luck, author of this new children's book, Forever Cousins. She's coming up right after the break. After a major fire, forests are able to pretty much heal on their own. But a little knowledgeable assistance can speed up the process. And there are a number of ways to keep forests healthy, to prevent fires, and other destructive problems from happening in the first place. We'll talk about native forestry methods on the next Native America Calling. Did you know more than 51,000 native and indigenous people are living with epilepsy in the United States? Epilepsy is a neurological disorder that causes recurring, sudden, unprovoked surges of abnormal electrical activity in the brain. Call 1-800-332-1000 to get information and resources. Help someone you know by learning seizure first aid at epilepsy.com slash first aid. The Epilepsy Foundation supports this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're focusing on Native children's books today. Are you and your children or grandchildren fans of books written by Native authors? Are Native children more eager to read stories about people like themselves? What makes for a great children's book? What do you do at home to encourage your children to read? We're at 1-800-996-2848. Once again, that number is 1-800-996-2848. So please give us a call, share your thoughts on the air. Since we're talking about books today, we also think it's fair to point out that Turtle Mountain Ojibwe author Louise Erdrich just won the prestigious Beresford Prize. She'll get $50,000 from the nonprofit United States Artists. The prize is for her Minneapolis bookstore, Birch Bark Books. 
Our next guest is joining us in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Laurel Goodluck. She's an author and she's Mandan, Hidatsa, and Simshian. Laurel, welcome to Native America Calling. Hi there. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's wonderful to have you as well. And Laurel, congratulations on your new children's book, Forever Cousins, published earlier this year. We just heard Debbie Reese give it rave reviews. Tell us, why a story about Native cousins? Well, basing on my own experiences of growing up in the Bay Area in California, I just had several cousins, aunties, uncles, family, and intertribal community, and I was an urban Indian. And so we had this community that my parents um, made for us to make sure that we were connected to our culture, we were connected to our homelands, and that we could practice cultural activities and uh, and traditions, whether we were in the city or that when we were connected to in our homelands. So I wanted a story like that because there's so many Native Americans now that live in the cities and are very resilient and um, they have their culture to lean on. And I want young readers to, to remind them of that. I'm holding a copy of Forever Cousins in my hands right now. And the illustrations are just absolutely beautiful. Your illustrator, Jonathan Nelson, just did a fantastic job. And um, the pictures are just so relatable to any Native family, the, the, the children, the events that they attend, uh, the characters, and just the different little activities that they get involved with. Um, tell me, how did you and Jonathan collaborate together on this book? Well, just so lucky to have Jonathan doing this book because... He tells the other half of the story through his beautiful art, his illustrations, and um, you know the process for having for working with an illustrator really doesn't happen until the publisher introduces you to the illustrator or the possibility of a few illustrators. And um, of course, the publishers that I'm working with all understand the importance of having a native person be on board as an illustrator to tell that other half of the story. And so Charles Bridge brought Jonathan up, loved his art, saw his other book, um, which he does about the laughing party, the Navajo laughing party, and his other dog, his other book called Hey Dog, and just fell in love with his illustration. So it's really through Charles Bridge that brought us together. Mm-hmm. Well, just you two make a fantastic team. And whenever we do these children's media shows, I've gotten into the habit of consulting with my daughter. Uh, as you know, I'm a middle-aged parent here, so what do I really know about children's books? What kind of insights can I really offer? So to gain a young reader's perspective, Laurel, I gave a copy of one of your books, uh, Forever Cousins, to my eight-year-old daughter. Her name is Celeste, and let's hear her, excuse me, let's hear her review of Forever Cousins as she shares connections to her own family and even offers insights regarding the treatment of one character, a younger cousin named Forrest. Celeste, you just finished reading this book, Forever Cousins, written by Laurel Goodluck. What's it about? It's about two cousins that have a really, really strong bond, Kara and Amanda. What is it about their bond that makes it so special? Their family, they love each other, 
and they are native kids. They dance in powwows, and that really surprised me because I dance in powwows. At one point, one of the cousins has to move away. How do the girls deal with that? Well, they just have to try and be strong. But um, Amanda, she did not dance in powwow, and that made me feel a little bit upset because I had to be strong because I moved in junior girls this year, and I had to be strong and dance for the first time without my cousins. Me and my cousin, we do get things from each other. We tell jokes a lot, and we have a really strong bond, too. Is it difficult for the two girls to live so far away from each other? Well, sort of, but they get packed together at the reunion, and that's a very beautiful thing. You leave, and then you come back, and it's just a beautiful thing. You know how Forrest is annoying? I, re- I gathered that from the book. Yeah, he's kind of a, a little bit of a bother to the older girls. Yeah, um, I have a cousin, and he's a little bit of a bother. Celeste, if you were to talk to the woman who wrote this book, what would you tell her? I would tell her it's a great book, and I do have a few things that I do not like about the book. Well, please, share them. They are that... As I mentioned, those kids didn't play with um, that and with Forrest, and he looked like he felt a lot left out, and that's a little bit upsetting. I mean, they exchange dolls, but they don't play with Forrest when they're about to leave. Anything else you want to say about the book? Um, I'm not sure. Shouldn't maybe I get off now because you have a lot more guests to interview? Yeah, I kind of do. Thanks for your time, Celeste. Uh huh. That was our in house children's book reviewer, Celeste Spruce, offering feedback on Forever Cousins by Laurel Goodluck. Well, Laurel, you've got a fan uh, here with your new book, but we are feeling a little bad for Forrest. I know. I love, she's hired. I She's the best critiquer I've ever heard. This is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here grinning ear to ear, listening to Celeste's perspective. This is why I write these kids like Celeste. Tell her thank you very much, and I'm going to really think about how Forrest was feeling left out. Okay. I appreciate it. I'll, I'll be sure and relay the message. And Laurel, Indian Country wants to know, any connection between Forrest and the book and your famous son, actor Forrest Goodluck? Well, Forrest, yes. It, it, yes and no. There's three Forrests in my family, and Amanda and Kara had a brother named Forrest, and we lost him, unfortunately, so I really wanted to honor him and have his name in this book, so it's really named after him first. Wonderful, wonderful. Really appreciate you sharing that personal information there. And so the book, um, I know it, it somewhat uh, resembles your own life. As you shared earlier, you grew up in the, in the Bay Area, and um, you can relate to these characters, these cousins, uh, through your own life experience. 
Yes, definitely. We know that our cousins are more like brothers and sisters to us, that we grow up with them, and our aunties and uncles are like fathers and mothers to us, too, this close family that one gets, uh, being from a Native family, even it just crosses over different tribal nations. I think this universal feeling of that you have your cousins forever, and um, that's just the emotion I really wanted to get across in this book. Celeste and I, we really appreciated, like I mentioned earlier, the drawings, like there's scenes where, where the girls are sitting on lawn chairs at the powwow, and it, it, I mean, they look almost like family photographs that we have. And she really also liked the toys. She loved the dolls that the characters played with, and she really loved the backpacks, especially the one that had like the pony designs on it. And she really, really liked those. So there's just so many rich elements in your book, Laurel, that, and again, you just really did a great job of capturing a contemporary Native American family. Let's go ahead and go to the phones now. We have Alex listening on KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Alex, hello. Yes, hello. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, Alex. Yes, no, I was just, uh, as a teacher, uh, there's a book that I use, uh, and that's written by a Navajo author. Her name is a uh, child author. Her name is Marisol Paramo, and the name of the book is called Bella the Caterpillar. And it's a coming-of-age story, and it's something I just wanted to shout out because we, we, you know, we try to bring in as many different uh, perspectives when we're teaching our, our youth, our kids, and uh, we've uh, used that book several times. It's an awesome book. Well, Alex, thanks for calling in today and sharing that title, Bella the Caterpillar. And let's ask Debbie Reese. Debbie, are you familiar with Bella the Caterpillar? So I don't think we have Debbie on the line right now. Well, let's ask Laura. Laura, are you? F- yeah. John, one thing I wanted to say, that book, I won the Children's Book of the Year Award for the Southwest Arizona New Mexico Book Award, the Southwest region. I think it was uh, like two or three years ago. So it's pretty well known. And I think uh, they're translating into uh, Navajo now because it's in English, but they're going to try to translate into Navajo for 2023. Okay. All right, Alex. Thanks for all that background and information. Uh, the title, Bella, the Caterpillar. And um, Laurel, I, I want to ask you, I know you've got a, a lot of irons in the fire. You've got more books coming out. Uh, as I understand it, you're also working on a project, uh, a children's book about um, Deb Holland, uh, first Native American Secretary of the Interior. Tell us about it. Yeah, I've been working on this for a while now. And um very fortunate to be able to join She Persisted team that Chelsea Clinton started with a chap- with a picture book, and then she expanded into chapter books. And so, as you said before, Wilma, or Debbie mentioned before, Wilma Mankiller by Tracy Sorrell, and also Maria Tallchief. So I'll be joining this next year's um, series, and Deb Holland will be featured, and I'm just honored to be able to do this book because she's a fascinating woman who just worked hard her whole life and figured things out and how to use her voice, how to be fierce for all of us, how to share that as a community and how to really listen. And her duty to service is just, um, she's just a role model for everyone. But it's also, as I researched her, just able to see elements of my own family, our own communities. There's so many commonalities. So I'm just proud to be part of this series and proud to have voted for her also. 
Well, I want to talk uh, more, Laurel, with some of your other uh, new books that are coming out. But before we do that, I would like to circle back around to Debbie Reese. And, and Deb, I wanted to ask you, uh, our caller Alex mentioned the book Bella the Caterpillar. Are you familiar with the title? No, I'm looking it up. Um, but um, no, I don't know it. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, feel free when you want to chime in if you have after you had a chance to, to take a look online there. Would sure appreciate it. And so, Laurel, you also have, I understand, about another six children's books that are coming out in the relatively near future? Right. Um, there's four of them have been announced, including Deb's, and also one next year coming out with HarperCollins, which is with the imprint called Heart Drum, which is a specific imprint first one of its kind for native, um, for all for native writers writing children's books. So we're really, I'm so proud of this imprint and so proud to be working with Rosemary there, the editor, and also with um, Cynthia Lytek-Smith, who also works with this imprint. But we're, as a team, putting out Rock Your Mocks, and I understand that you're related to Jalen Atsey, who really started this movement with um, her thought about wanting to wear her moccasins beyond just the ceremonies or the or the um, uh, dances that we participate in as Native people. And she questioned, why can't we wear these year-round? And that really hit home with me because I used to run a Native teen camp, and that's one thing I focused on all the time, that you can have your culture Every day, you can have your culture as something to lean on, something that you can learn to problem, helps you problem solving, helps you feel connected. There's so many layers that our culture gives us, and um, that's what I hope to do with this book, is to take it further and show kids across the nations rocking their mocks. So, yeah, that'll come out next year in another one, book called Too Much, and this is with... Um, illustrator Bridget George out of Canada, and she is, uh, we're doing this book together that will show a Native family, a little boy who feels a little bit crowded at times and wants to be on his own and feels a little too much, so I'm really trying to bring in modern stories with humor and to show um, kids' everyday life experiences and culture sprinkled through, so that's what um, too much is about. Laurel, this is really fascinating, and I know you write from the heart. I know you write to empower and to celebrate our Native people and our culture, but I also do want to ask you, with all these projects and, and these high-profile books that, that you're involved with and that you've authored, um, is it financially lucrative to be a Native children's writer as well? <laughs> well, that's a good question, <laughs> and I'm still finding that out. I got to <laughs> ask. I've done this I for ask. a few years now. You know, I think for any author, um, I'm at the age where I'm close to retirement, so I'm not really doing it to to have – I don't need that aspect of it so much. I'm just doing it for advocacy, um, but I think it really takes um, – for those who are relying on it as their main income, it is a little bit tough to be in this business. I'll mm -hmm. just say that. Okay. Well, I, I know you're happily married to to a wonderful man, your husband, Kevin. Good luck. Um, 
and uh, I've known Kevin for, for many, many years. So I don't think we have to worry about Laurel um, paying the bills anytime or, or depending on her on her books to, to write uh, or to, to cover any uh, any types of bills or anything like that. So Laura, really appreciate the, all you do and, and all of um, your contributions there serving Indian country in the way that you do with these wonderful children's books. And we're going to talk with our, our next guest. His name is Art Colson. He's coming up after the break, and he has also written a wonderful children's book that he's going to share with us. So anybody listening right now that would like to talk about a favorite children's book of theirs or share any insights regarding Native children's literature, please, our number, 1-800-996-2848. Our phone lines are open. That number, once again, 1-800-996-2848. Any special books that you want to share, please do. Or anything, any tips or ideas you have to encourage our Native children to read more, any insights would be very appreciative. So 1-800-996-2848, that's our number. And we'll be right back. Stay with us. This Native American Heritage Month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a health care professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash hbpcontrol. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 2112-27 and CPIMP 2112-28. You're tuned in to Native America Calling today. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with Native children's book authors, and there's still time to join our conversation. Who are some of your favorite Native children's authors or children's books? Are you reading one with your kids or grandkids right now? Are there any you'd recommend? We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. So please feel free to call in. We'll get your comments on the air. Joining us now from somewhere in the Smoky Mountains in North Carolina is Art Colson. He's a writer and a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. Art, welcome to Native America Calling. Hi, Sean. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Art, it's great to have you on the show, and congratulations on your book, Look, Grandma, Knee, Elise. Uh, Elise, that's a word I hear a lot in, in my home with um, my daughter being part Cherokee. So tell us, what inspired you to write this Cherokee story? Well, um, it's part of a, a series of books that Charles Bridge was publishing about everyday math from different perspectives. And they approached me about writing one. And it was, uh, for me, a chance to kind of show um, you know, a, a kid figuring out problems on his own the way that, you know, our young people do and just showing that, you know, how math touches us every day. So this whole math element and uh, a lot of Cherokee language as well. And um, what are ch children learning specifically when they read this book? Well, one thing I, you know, I really hope they learn, you know, for the non-Native kids out there, you know, can see kind of our lived experience. You know, I try to base it a lot on the way that I grew up working, you know, with my grandmother and my uncle on different craft projects and thinking through problems and, and you know, just kind of living life. And and the other thing I want them to, to um, understand is that, you know, math doesn't have to be something you're standing at, you know, up at a whiteboard doing problems. You know, math can be just something simple, like in the case of this book, where the the young boy is learning about volume and, you know, what 
you know, I was trying to put a bunch of Cherokee marbles into a container, but it has to fit on a certain space on a table and trying to figure out the shape of that. What's the best shape to hold all the marbles that he, that he's made. So. Well, it's a, a really, really, this is also a, a beautifully illustrated book and, and you include elements of the Cherokee syllabary, which I think is very appropriate considering the Cherokee have that written language history that they do and so much rich tradition there in, in terms of reading and writing amongst the Cherokee. And um, how long did it take you to write this book? Um, well, I, I think, you know, it's like with any book project, the actual writing itself, the, the drafting is, is pretty quick. And then it's the editing and the revision part that, that, uh, you know, takes the longest, I, I think over the course of probably five or six months working back and forth with uh, the editors at Charles Bridge and our math advisors and just trying to make sure that the, the book captured the, the things that we wanted to capture for the young people and, and really told the story of the math, you know, as an integrated part of it. But, you know, you mentioned the Cherokee language as being part of the book. And one of the things that excited me the most is uh, Charles Bridge brought on um, John Ross, who's a linguist for the Cherokee Nation. And John um, made a, an entirely Cherokee version of the book, which is available for free. Um, people can download it. And there's also a Cherokee language workbook that can be used like in Cherokee immersion classrooms and such to, to work with the math and, and the book. So it's very exciting for me. Um, they just released a Spanish version of the book as well. So I always tell my kids, it's my first trilingual version of the book. It's got <laughs> Cherokee, English, and Spanish in it. And so it's uh, pretty exciting for kids. You know, for kids, kids from, you know, all cultures to be able to kind of look at the book and see the universality of the way that our kids live, you know, that we're not some, you know, stranger or outsider, you know, we are part of the community, we're part of, you know, their lives, and, you know, they can see that we, we live like they do. Well, you're certainly covering all the bases with different translations and uh, different formats, and uh, Art, tell us about your illustrator, Madeline Goodnight. Oh, it was... <laughs> The illustrations are just phenomenal. They, I mean, you know, as a writer's heart, it pains me to say this, but I think the illustrations really uh, tell the story better than my words did. I, I really, there's a spread in the middle of the book where the, the young protagonist is just very frustrated. He can't figure out the problem. He wants his grandmother to solve the problem for him, and she's kind of putting him off. She's busy doing something else, and she's putting him off. And he just goes and he just flops down in the middle of his bed. And, and Maddie's uh, illustration, like overhead shot of the kid just flop, you know, flop down on the bed in frustration. I thought that is just perfect illustration for this book. It just shows, you know, how intense, how intense some of these real life problems are to young people. You know, that I got to find this thing and I, and you know, nobody's helping me and I can't figure this out. But he, he does. He does eventually, you know, spoiler alert, he does eventually figure it out. Um, and, and work it through. And so I, I think that showing that part of the um, problem-solving process, you know, the frustration that sometimes a young person might feel and the way that you kind of persist and you work through it and you think about it and you kind of look at what the tools that you have at hand. And, I, you know, he does a really good job of figuring that out. Art, it's really meant, interesting that you mentioned how in some ways the, the illustrations can almost be more impactful than the actual words in a children's book. And it, it brings to mind a memory. A few years ago, I was with Celeste, my daughter. We were in an airport, and, and we were trying to read, and it was kind of busy. And this really nice, friendly lady was sitting near us, and she said, I have grandchildren of my own, and I would love to read to your daughter right now. Can I do that? And I said, well, yeah, sure. So she grabbed the book and started reading, and she said, the thing you have to remember about children's books is the way you want to read them is first look at the pictures, 
Look at the pictures and have your kids comment on the picture and then read the words because the pictures really tell the story. So Art, what you're describing is, is, is very in tune with that in terms of the significance of the illustrations. Let's go ahead and take a, another call. We have Phyllis. She's listening in Anchorage, Alaska. Philip, thanks for, or excuse me, Phyllis, thanks for calling in today. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, Phyllis, you're coming in great. Oh, great. Um, well, I wrote a, I'm an Athabascan, Native Alaskan here, and I wrote a children's book called Alaska Boots for Chelsea. And it's made Battle of the Books for the Anchorage School District. And um, it's been real popular with not only our Native people, but um, tourists and grandpas and grandmas. And I uh, just wanted to know how I could get this on your um, nationwide list for Native book authors and Native children's books. Okay. Uh, Phyllis, there's a, my producer looked up a, a book by an author by the name of Phyllis Adams, and the book is titled Alaska Gingerbread Moose. Would this be you? Uh, that's me also. And <laughs> okay. actually, most of those books are sold, and I just haven't gotten back to having them reprinted. Okay. Well, uh, let's go ahead and, and let Debbie Reese respond to that. Debbie, are you there still? Yes, I'm here. And, and um, I think I need Phyllis to write to me and tell me about her books. My website, um, American Indians and Children's Literature, has a contact um, space so she can write to me there and tell me the titles of her books, and I'll take a look. All right. Thank you, Debbie. And Phyllis, thank you for calling in as well. And any other Native writers or aspiring Native children's writers, please call in with your questions. 1-800-996-2848. We're talking with Art Colson. He's uh, the author of this children's book, Look, Grandma, Nee, Elise. And Art, if you could, could you translate that full title for our, our listeners that aren't fluent in the Cherokee language? It says, look, Grandma, look, Grandma. So <laughs> it's pretty complex. Yeah. I, you know, I, I was just calling the book Nia Lisi, and then they, you know, of course, wanted to put the English out there as well, just so that, you know, it'd be accessible to kids who didn't speak Cherokee. Um, and, you know, in, in the book, you know, kind of like in our house, we kind of speak a blended, uh, you know, some English words, some Cherokee words. And, you know, you have to always talk to your pets in Cherokee because they only understand Cherokee language. So, you know, when your cat's not listening to you, it's because you're not talking to the cat in the language it understands. So I taught my kids that early on. And Art, uh, do you hope that a lot of non-native children will read this book? And, and if so, what do you hope they get from it? You know, it's like with any of the books that I've written, um, and I do a lot of school visits and, and particularly non-native schools. And what I, I always tell the kids, that if, if nothing else, I just hope that they you know, get from my visit and from my books that we're in the present tense. We're here. We, you know, <laughs> Native people are in the present tense and in the future tense. We're not all in the past. Don't talk about us as if we're, you know, all, you know, gone. We're here. We're living among you. We're, we're doing the things that, you know, everybody else does, you know, caring for their families and their loved ones and living in their community and, you know, contributing to their communities. Um, and so that's, I really want kids to think about that and just see that, you know, our lived experience is just as valid as their lived experience. Might be a little bit different. You know, might eat some different foods, might have some different traditions, or have different words for things. But you know, young people are young people, and you know, they they all kind of want the same thing. So I, I want them to see that universality of of our experience. We've got time for another caller, Mary, listening in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Mary, you're on the air. 
Hi, Sean. Thank you for having me be on the air. Yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to Lori. Um, I know Lori and her husband as well um, went through medical training together. Um, and and but I yes, I'm just really happy, Lori, that you're you're creating these books for young indigenous children and some different perspectives. But I wanted to share a couple of books uh, from an author, Monique Gray Smith, and she's in Canada. She's an indigenous author from Canada. And uh, because I'm so um, pleased with her work, um, another reason for that is that our daughter, uh, Nicole Neidhart, uh, has been an illustrator for a few of the books that she's uh, worked on with her. So one book is called When We Are Kind. And I feel that that book is really beautiful because it's very inclusive of different relationships. You know, um, LGBTQ uh, presences in the illustrations, as well as kids in wheelchairs. And it's just really, a, really uh, beautiful il illustrations in that book that's for young kids. And then a book that just came out that Monique Gray Smith did that is the youth adaptation of Braiding Sweetgrass that is by Robin Wall Kimmerer is um, is coming out. And, and Nicole also illustrated that book. And I think that that's going to be a really important book for teachers and for young people because, you know, her, her book has really been on the top, you know, 10 of the New York Times and paperback. So I'm just really uh, happy to share this information. Mary, thank you for calling in and sharing those titles. And we're just getting uh, such a wide range of callers today and insights and recommendations on books. And Laurel, uh, sounds like Mary is a family friend. Did, did you want to respond, say anything? Yes, I just wanted to say thank you for um, acknowledging that. And it is so important that we reach young people and we do have a great community of Indigenous writers and illustrators, and I just remember meeting um, Nicole Neidhart, who is doing all this fabulous illustrating, Mary's daughter. I was at um, Indian Market one summer, and I just loved her art and looked, looking at it, and and then I looked um, near her booth, and there was her father, and I was like, are you two related? <laughs> but I was just drawn to her art. It's just beautiful. So congratulations to Nicole and all that her art and um, getting out into the world with children's books. Oh, beautiful story, Laurel. Thank you for sharing. And I want to go back to Art Colson now. Art, um, more children's books in, in, in store for you? Yeah, I've got uh, one. That, there's one that's been announced, several more on the way after that. Actually, I'm actually going to be writing some adult and young adult books after the next children's book, the one that's been announced is coming out from Simon and Schuster in 2024, and it's called All the Stars in the Sky, a picture book about a young Cherokee boy and his grandmother talking about um, he's really anxious to be the star of the day at school, and grandma wants to know what that means, and he goes, well, I'm the most important person in the whole school, and she said, I have news for you, teacher, not the most important person anywhere, and she talks to him about community, the importance of community and family, and that no one person is, you know, his own constellation, and so that's coming out for young people in 2024, which seems so far off, um, and then, as I said, after that, I've got a book for adults that I'm writing with my friend Marcy Rendon, a great um, mystery writer from Minneapolis with me, um, and then after that, I've got a young adult horror book that's going to be coming out. So 
So I'm very excited about those two, but neither of those have been announced. All right. You are a full-time author. Um, how many books in total have you written at this point? Um, I, I believe I have, I just had four that came out <laughs> like in the last month, four came out from different publishers. I, I really think they should schedule them a little bit better, but you know, they don't always work together that way. Um, I have 15 out right now, including a couple of graphic novels and uh, a play. Um, and the rest are, um, it ranged from picture books to um, middle grade um, fiction. I have a novel that came out last year called uh, Chasing Bigfoot, which is a lot of fun to write. It's about kind of where I am here in uh, the Smoky Mountains. It takes place there. Um, kind of exciting book for kids. Art, earlier I asked Laurel uh, about the financial benefits of being an author, and uh, with all these books that you have in different genres, children's book, adults' books, um, are you able to make a living off your writing? Uh, no, no, no. Um, I wish it were, and I, you know, and I think that we, we'll get there. I mean, as you mentioned earlier in the in the broadcast, it's you know we're kind of going through this renaissance of uh, native writers writing native stories. Um, the finances haven't caught up with that yet. But places like Heart Drum, as, as Lori mentioned, are, are, you know, trying to change that. And I'm working with a lot of great publishers that see the value. But the money just hasn't caught up yet, but I'm, I'm confident it will one of these days. It sounds like sometimes when writers can really cash in is when they can sell, like, TV shows or, or movie rights. They can option their stories to, to producers of films and things like that. Uh, is that something on your radar, Art? always on my radar, you know, and, and there've been, you know, there've been discussions. I've actually written a TV pilot, but it didn't, you know, the <laughs> production company ran out of money, so it didn't go anywhere. So, you know, we're, we're all doing these things that we you know, try to go into different um, media and different genres, just trying to you know, tell the stories, tell the stories where the people are and, and the way that they consume them. And so TV and, and movies are definitely a part of that. You know, books are a part of that. But, you know, our songs and our dances are part of that. So it's just the different ways that we tell stories. All right. I, I want to thank you again for coming on the show and your book, Look, Grandma, Ni Elisi, another beautiful, beautiful children's book by a Native author that uh, we've profiled on our show today. And unfortunately, that is all the time we have. But I, I want to thank all of our guests today, Laurel Goodluck, Debbie Reese, and Art Colson, for an engaging conversation on Native children's books and the authors who write them. Join us next week for another round of discussions about Native issues and topics. Our executive producer is Art Hughes. Our producers are Andy Murphy and Sol Traverso. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Show McPollin is the digital producer. Nola Daves-Moses is the distribution director. Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our national underwriting sales director. Antonia Gonzalez is the anchor for National Native News. Charles Sather is our chief operations officer. The president and CEO of Quantic Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Have a safe weekend and a happy Veterans Day. Support provided by Freedom Lodge. Is historical trauma a concern in your community? If so, you can join our Historical Trauma Masterclass at Ghost Ranch in New Mexico beginning February 2018. Tribal training for healthcare professionals, providing culturally relevant, dynamic recovery tools. There is no fee for tribal members' tuition. Registration deadline is December 1. Complete information, including paper or online registration, at freedomlodge.org education. Waka. 
Enroll in healthcare coverage through CMS today and keep your health protected all year long. Contact your local Indian healthcare provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.